We'll intervene whenever we decide it's in our national security interest to intervene. And if you don't like it, lump it. The problem with America is not that we go around marauding around the world imposing ourselves. Mm. The problem with America in the last 10, 15 years since the end of the Cold War, really in the last 60 years, is that we've been too slow to get involved. I don't know how many Iraqi civilians were killed, but I can assure you that the number is the absolute uh, minimal that it's possible uh, in modern warfare. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. You know, that land over there is yours. You'll go back to it one day because your fight will prevail and you'll have your homes and your mosques back again because your cause is right and God is on your side. Welcome to the darkened you know, The image that's been portrayed is, is we sat around the campfire and said, oh boy, now we go get to torture people. Well, we don't torture people. L let me say that again to you. We don't torture people. Okay. Come on, so, George. We don't torture people. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. We don't torture people. Waterboarding. We do not. I don't it's talk torture. about techniques and we don't torture people. Now, listen to, now listen to me. I want you to listen to me. So the context is, it's post 9-11. I've got reports of nuclear weapons in New York City, apartment buildings that are going to be blown up, planes that are going to fly into air for, air, airports all over again, plot lines that I don't know. I don't know what's going on inside the United States, and I'm struggling to find out where the next disaster is going to occur. Everybody forgets one central context of what we live through the palpable fear that we felt on the basis of the fact that there was so much we did not know. Through me, you pass into the city of woe. Through me, you pass into eternal pain. Through me, among the people lost for A, justice, the founder of my fabric, moved. To rear me was the task of power divine, supremest wisdom, primeval love. Before me, things create were none, save things eternal, and eternal I endure. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Dante's Inferno, Canto Three, by Dante Alighieri. The header would have been a perfect symbol for what was about to come for the prisoners who reached the gates of Guantanamo Bay prison in Guantanamo, Cuba, where truth goes to die and waits in the abyss of time. Good evening, everybody. I'm your co, I'm your host, Adam Fitzgerald of the Dark and Dow, and today we're going to be talking about Guantanamo Bay, the effects of the enhanced interrogation techniques, the innocent prisoners that were brutally victimized by the CIA and these measures that were drafted by White House Legal Counsel, the Guantanamo Five that are currently there and charged for their roles in facilitating and planning the attacks of 9-11 and 
the Senate Select Report on CIA torture of December 9, 2014 of the United States Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. After the events of September 11, 2001, I remember being in a state of shock, but nothing prepared me for what was about to come. Yes, there was a disastrous war in Afghanistan, the longest war in U.S. history. Yes, there was a predictable war for Iraq, which was a lot more costly in terms of casualties, depending on who you believe, anywhere between one to two million people that perished. But it was before this that we didn't see by people that we entrust with our votes and use their influence to draft legislation that would impair our civil rights and abuse the rights of prisoners afforded to them by the Geneva Convention. One such legislature that was drafted on November 13, 2001, in which White House counsel John Yu had sanctioned White House plans to give the Defense Department sole authority to decide which terrorists would be tried in military commissions. And what they wanted was to control a trial, control the charges by men labeled terrorists, not by the Department of Justice, which would be the right venue. No, this would be outside the U.S. borders because they did not want these prisoners afforded the Geneva Convention. So when Secretary of State Colin Powell and National Security Advisor Condoleezza Rice, as well as U.S. Attorney General John Ascroft, went to complain about this draft legislature by White House legal counsel, in which Cheney's own personal lawyer, David Addington, who would later edit the draft to where the White House and not the Defense Department would decide which terrorists would be tried. Unprecedented war powers to a sole individual, the President of the United States. The memo also ignored international law, predictably, suggesting that the President could abide by it or not. And that the president would label these people terrorists in which they would not be afforded protection under the Geneva Convention if it was tried at a military tribunal. This would also mean that any foreign nation that the president deems as a nation that would allow terrorists living inside it or even having conspired in terrorism would come under direct attack. that defendants would have limited rights to confront their accusers. In other words, they would not be able to see evidence against them or even stand in front of their accusers at trial. Another term for this would be indefinite detention. 
These rules for the military commission would be dictated at a uh, ad hoc basis by none other than Donald Rumsfeld, Bush's Secretary of Defense. Many people approved of this. They wanted their pound of flesh seeing the World Trade Center collapse, a sign of defeat, hopelessness, powerless. Vengeance is mine, says the United States government. To hell with God and country. The only thing that matters is revenge, even at the cost of how so many lives. But there were some few brave souls. One of them being Stephen Kenny, an Australian lawyer, who actually remarked out in the open and predicted that the United States will never charge anyone for the events of September 11, 2001. That there is no incentive to. Because on December 19, 2001, the Pakistan ISI captured an individual escaping from Pakistan who would later be the conduit between Iraq, Al-Qaeda, and illegal war. His name was Ibn Sheikh Alibi, who was turned over to the CIA. He was the alleged chief of the Chaldean training camp in Afghanistan. In fact, Jack Clunan, an FBI agent out of New York, advised FBI agents to go and interview him right away. And so they sent Russell Fincher and Marty Marion, a New York City detective, who had prior experience in how to interview prisoners. And so they spoke with Alibi. And according to both of them, they got such information, including one plot, which was the bombing of a U.S. embassy in Aden, Yemen. The information from Alibi was also shared with the CIA. And much like with every other FBI president, the CIA took over the Alibi case. And what did they do with him? The United States allowed for the CIA to rendition him to Egypt. in which they can employ and enforce torture methods to gain information. Now, for the history of Egypt, which was notoriously known for using brutal torture methods, which are at that time illegal inside the United States, and time was not on the side of the United States government, or as they so believed, and he was tortured to say that, yes, Al-Qaeda was procuring chemical and biological weapons with Baathist leaders inside Iraq. And in short order, the United States government invaded Iraq. And also in short order, Guantanamo Bay was opened.
Many years later, there would be people that would write papers showing the Guantanamo Bay prison and the CIA's torture program, which was given a green light by the State Department under Bush and Cheney. And of course, White House legal counsel that would openly critique the methods that was used by the CIA. We will go over them. The paper written by Professor Maria Hartwig and Mark Fallon, who I've interviewed personally for his book on justifiable means. The paper entitled The Manipulation of Minds, Reckoning with the Legacy of the American Post-9-11 Torture Program. A cited paper posted at the National Library of Medicine, 2022. Quote, in this article, we argued that the government's post 9-11 torture program was a big lie, in that the designers, executors, and enablers knew all along that torture does not elicit reliable information. We reviewed the government's own research on the matter, and we discussed the ways in which methods known to be unreliable were implemented most saliently at the detention facility at Guantanamo Bay. We reviewed the secrecy and propaganda surrounding the scope and horror of the torture program at Guantanamo and black sites around the world. And the painful truth, how the government knowingly adopted the terror policies of the torture program against their own knowledge, against international human rights, and against the law, end quote. So on September 11th, 2001, after the four planes had crashed into the Pentagon, the World Trade Center in Shanksville, after it's alleged that Al-Qaeda, Bin Laden, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, Ramzi bin al-Sheib, Mustafa al-Hassawi, Taufik bin Atash, and Omar al-Baluchi were behind the logistical and operational planning of these events. But that didn't stop Afghan warlords to sell out their own or their competitors to the CIA for a hefty ransom. Innocent people were actually captured and sent to CIA black sites around the world, including Afghanistan, Poland, Germany. Some people, like Mansur Ahmed Saad al Adibi, who I personally interviewed and heard his harrowing tale here at the Darkened Hour, a Yemeni who was actually held without a single charge at the Guantanamo Bay detention camp in Cuba from February 9th, 2002 to July 11th, 2016. His Guantanamo internment serial number was 441. And on his detainee assessment, JTF report, 
under the evaluation of detainees account, what did the U.S. military and government charge? That the detainee's account is only partially truthful, although he was initially forthcoming and provided a credible timeline and account of his activities in Afghanistan. Some details he provided were surprisingly incriminating, such as multiple meetings with Osama bin Laden and other al-Qaeda leaders, the specialized training he received, and his selection to establish a new al-Qaeda cell in Yemen. Detainee has corroborated reports by other detainees that he fought even on the front lines in Afghanistan, but denied serving in a leadership capacity. Detainee reported that he was captured prior to October of 2001 and was at the Kualala E. Jangi prison for approximately 52 days, probably in effort to distance himself from the leadership on the front lines. He subsequently tried to discount his initial story as a joke and has been uncooperative ever since. However, detainee is identified by other Gitmo detainees who were trained at the Al Farouk training camp. Mansur al Adifi actually made up all those charges because he was tortured so brutally that he basically wanted to give them what they wanted to hear and then recounted these charges as a joke to show the banality of the atmosphere that he was experiencing. Days on end, dogs would bark and almost bite the DV. Sometimes they would bite him. Sometimes he would be assaulted in the middle of the night by masked men waving batons and shields. Sometimes the abuse was psychological. Sleepless nights standing in the nude for days on end, stress positions, stomach slapping, even starvation and dehydration, as well as forced feeding. Another was Mozambique. Mozambique, whose Gitmo report dated November 11, 2003, read on his assessment, based on information collected and available at the Joint Task Force Guantanamo as of November 1, 2003, detainee ISN US9UK is an al-Qaeda facilitator. Based on the detainee's folder, the knowledgeability brief and subsequent interrogations by JTF Guantanamo, the detainee is of significant intelligent value to the United States. Mozambique was actually released. Why? He was held as an enemy combatant claiming that he was innocent of all charges, that the government charged him as being a facilitator for Al-Qaeda. However, he was abused by guards at Bagram in Afghanistan. He personally saw two detainee, two of them, detainees beaten to death. Although the U.S. government and 
a U.S. military spokesman would later claim that Begg's story at the time was uncorroborated. However, later on, it was corroborated in a military investigation into reports of abuse at Bagram. And they concluded that both of their deaths were caused by the abuse of American guards in which Begg served. And of course, following a long public outcry in the United Kingdom over the detention of other British nationals held at Guantanamo Bay, in 2004, the UK government intervened and forced President Bush to release Begg without a single charge on January 25, 2005. Another was Abdul Latif Nasser, Abdul Latif Nasser Kabir. His report was quite banal. A man who basically had no connection to terrorists or terrorist activities. A man who was captured on December 10, 2001 and detained to Pakistan where he was handed over to the CIA at Kandahar. According to his Gitmo report and evaluation, the detainee's account is only partially truthful. He is now uncooperative. Detainee admitted playing a significant role in the Al-Qaeda organization and has been somewhat forthcoming about his own specific activities, and he's provided conflicting details. In 2003, detainee admitted previous accounts of his activities in Sudan and Afghanistan and that they were a cover story designed to conceal his association with none other than Osama bin Laden. Detainee has admitted, retracted, and reasserted his claim to have personally met with Osama bin Laden on multiple occasions. He admitted being an explosives trainer and a member of the Al-Qaeda Explosives Committee. Committee that I'd never heard of before. Abdel Latif Nasser, whose internment serial number was 244, was released on July 19, 2021, as part of an effort by the Biden administration to shut down Guantanamo Bay He was held for a number of years, held without charge, but considered dangerous, in which he could be held indefinitely without charge and without an open and transparent review for even his justification of his own detention. even though he was tortured mercilessly and without end. Another was Mahamadou Aoud Slahi, a prominent figure at Guantanamo Bay, 
so prominent that there was a movie named after him named The Mortarian. And he would go on to write a book, Guantanamo Diary. I had also the privilege to interview on this show, Mohamedou Old Slahi, and he experienced and recounted his life in elaborate detail. Slahi's case is a damning case because according to the 9-11 Commission final report, it was Mohamedou Old Slahi who had met with facilitator of Al-Qaeda and the 9-11 attacks, Ramzi bin al-Shib. And persuaded Muhammad Atta, Marwan al-Shay and Ziad Jarrah, as well as al-Shib, to go to Afghanistan and not to travel to the Balkans, in which they were recruited by bin Laden and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed for the plane's operation. However, there's a problem. Slahi had met with Ramzi bin Ashib, but he'd not known about the details of his visit to his house, as he just stayed over for a single night, not knowing who he was, basically, or what his motivations were. However, Ramzi bin al-Shib was also was captured, tortured, told his interrogators that it was Slahi who was the facilitator of the Hamburg cell of Muhammad Atta, Mawan al-Shib, and Ziad Jara, as well as himself, to go to Afghanistan. A story that was made up by, by Ramzi bin al-Shib and falsely accused to Slahi himself. Slahi's internment number was 760. He was released on October 17, 2016, and also held on a number of charges that the government could not prove. He was brutally tortured, raped, beat up, and went through the CIA's enhanced interrogation techniques, also known as torture. A number of innocent people were tortured through this program, so much so that the State Department, through the Secretary of Defense, had to do something to say about the growing worry of torture. So in July 2002, this is what Rumsfeld had to say at a U.S. press briefing. Uh, I am telling you what I believe in every inch of my body to be the truth. And I have spent a lot of time on secure video with the people down there. I have talked to people who've been down there and come back. And I haven't found a single scrap of any kind of information that suggests that anyone has been treated anything other than humanely, notwithstanding everything we have read and heard over the past three days. Detainees consistently with the principles of the Geneva Convention. And let there be no doubt, the treatment of the detainees in Guantanamo Bay uh, is proper, it's humane, it's appropriate, uh, and it is fully consistent with international conventions. No detainee has been harmed, 
No detainee has been mistreated in any way. And the numerous articles, statements, questions, allegations, and breathless reports on television uh, are undoubtedly by people who are either uninformed, misinformed, or poorly informed. And so, the reports of torture continued over the years. Associated Press, the Organization of American States, the Center for Constitutional Rights, PBS, Human Rights Watch, the New York Times, American Civil Liberties, Al Jazeera, United Nations, you name it, they were coming out. And the reports were this, that the CIA was given full unfettered access to detainees at CIA black sites around the world who would undergo brutal torture methods away from the prying eye of investigators here in the United States and finally sent to the depths of hell, the lowest ring of Dante's Inferno, Guantanamo Bay Prison. But in 2010, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, who I've also interviewed, and a former aide to the Secretary of State, Colin Powell, he actually goes on the record, states in an affidavit, that the top levels of the White House, which included President Bush and Vice President Dick Cheney, as well as the liar, Donna Rumsfeld, who you just heard, had known, I repeat, had known that the majority of the detainees that were sent to Guantanamo were innocent, but that the detainees had to be kept there for reasons of political expedience. Political expedience. And so former detainee Adel Hassan Hamad went on to sue through a federal district court the U.S. government, along with several other individuals, one of them being Mozambique, regarding the U.S. government's Secretary of Defense and the CIA's torture program, also known as SEER. The Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape by two CIA contractors, James Mitchell and Bruce Jessup, who used these methods through individuals at the CIA and US military to elicit information forcefully and then claim in a report that all the information is true, even though, according to a Senate Select report in 2014, most of it was false.
now the military code of conduct, which was based upon American adherence to the uh, the Geneva Conventions relating to treatment of prisoners of war, had gave, or I'm sorry, given American soldiers uh, the legal and moral argument for their right to such protections. However, thanks to White House Counsel John U. David Addington and others like Alberto Gonzalez, gave the president unfettered access, unfettered powers, unchecked powers, war powers, to label who's a detain who's a terrorist and who's not. Some of the most dangerous legislature ever enacted in this country. And that's saying something. And of course, outside of the innocent people, you have those that were involved with acts of terrorism. But how do we know for sure? How do we know that people like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed? who I extensively covered over the years. Who was a, the alleged mastermind of the 9-11 attacks. Now, through prior history and through the documentary record, was part of the large international transnational plot called Bajinka, along with his nephew, Ramzi Youssef, the mastermind of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, in which they were going to implement 12 Timex bombs on 12 airliners. But there was a hidden component. And this was given an idea by another associate named Abdul Hakim Murad, who himself was a licensed pilot, in which he told Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, allegedly, that he would offer himself as a martyr and commandeer a plane, a commercial plane, and fly it directly into CIA headquarters. The hidden component to Bajinka was this. Through the Philippines investigators and their interrogation of Abdul Hakim Murad, that there were 10 airliners ready to be piloted and manually crashed into various locations inside the United States. The idea for 9-11 was not Operation Northwoods, but it was the Bajinka plot and the hidden plot that sleepless cells were inside the United States. This was known to the FBI in 1995-96. It was known to the FAA that there was a direct threat to airliners. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed indeed was a dangerous man. But he went through a number of the Sierra interrogation programs, one of them being waterboarding, in which he remarkably survived 183 sessions in a single month. I'll repeat, he was waterboarded 183 times in a single month. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that even if he admitted that he was responsible for the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, that he was behind the creation of the neutron bomb, that he was behind 
writing the last season of Game of Thrones, and all sorts of egregious banality. Would you believe him? Of course not. Why? Because the guy is going to say anything under such harsh conditions. Here's the kicker. He also could be telling the truth. He very well could have been the mastermind of 9-11. And I believe he was. Because he actually gave a personal interview to Al Jazeera reporter Yosri Fuda, along with Ramzi bin al-Sheib, before he was captured, and told him about the plan and logistical support given by the two men to Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda regarding the plane's operation. But you'll never know if it's true or not because we don't have a trial. And the reason why we don't have a trial is because the five men that were captured and charged with the 9-11 attacks were all tortured under the CIA's enhanced interrogation techniques. Thank you, State Department. Thank you, White House Legal Counsel. Thank you for circumventing the Geneva Convention. Thank you for circumventing civil liberties of detainees. Thank you for abusing these people to elicit information that you knew would be false because you knew torture doesn't elicit true information because you tried this in the 40s and 50s and the 60s. But you didn't care. Maybe you did it because you wanted the public to be held in a state of paralysis where anything could be believed and nothing could be known. In 2014, the Senate Intelligence Committee report on CIA torture was released on December 9th which detailed how contractors, CIA contractors, mind you, Bruce Jessen and James Mitchell, who developed the enhanced interrogation techniques, a fancy word for torture, in which the United States government paid $81 million for their services through Mitchell, Jessen, and Associates, located at Spokane, Washington. Now, Bruce Jessen was a senior psychologist at, of all places, the Defense Department. No shocker there. James Mitchell was also an American psychologist, a former member of the United States Air Force, contracted on behalf of the CIA. Now, over the years, and I think it was like between five to seven years, following their hiring, they would employ over 100 staff. They actually billed the CIA for $80 million, which led to one of the biggest fiascos in modern times. Heck, even 60 Minutes... Uh, aired a report from Abu Ghraib in May of 2004 showing you the primitive and abnormal, unsound mentally behavior 
of the U.S. military on the detainees there. And a number of abuses and scandals would arise immediately thereafter. One such detainee was an alleged al-Qaeda facilitator and trainer who was the first al-Qaeda operative captured. His name was Abu Zubaydah. He was interviewed by FBI and then later handed over to the CIA, in which the CIA immediately tortured the man for a number of years. But there was a report by the Washington Post that really grabbed my eye, written June 16th of 2009, that said this about Abu Zubaydah, in which the CIA, mind you, where this report's coming from, the CIA would admit at a combatant status review tribunal held at the very Guantanamo Bay prison, quote, we told Abu Zubaydah that we were sorry. We were sorry that we discovered that you are not a number three man in Al-Qaeda. You are not a partner. You are not even a fighter. End quote. Through the same select committee report in 2014, in which Abu Zubaydah doesn't possess information that the CIA claimed he had, in which a part of the document states that detention site Green, which CIA records indicate was authored by Swigert and Dunbar, code names for Bruce and Bruce Jessen and James Mitchell, personally viewed the interrogation of Abu Zubaydah as a success and that the cable recommended that the aggressive phase at detention site Green should be used as a template for future interrogation of high-value captives, not because the CIA's enhanced interrogation techniques produced any useful information, which they didn't, but rather because their use confirmed that Abu Zubaydah did not, I repeat, did not possess the intelligence that CIA headquarters had assessed Abu Zubaydah to have. Quote, Our goal was to reach the stage where we have broken any will or ability of subject to resist or deny providing us information, intelligence, to which he had access. We additionally sought to bring subject to the point that we confidently assess that he does not possess undisclosed threat information or intelligence that could prevent the terrorist event, end quote. That's the CIA saying that. Nobody else. When the report was released, the State Department would go on the defense in which Bush was interviewed by CNN immediately after, and this is what he said about the report. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you at some point in this interview about the Senate Intelligence Committee report that's coming out sometime yeah, next week yeah. about the CIA and it, what it did during your era 
Yeah, I haven't seen the report. I haven't either. Uh, I would expect but, it will be somewhat critical. But I'll tell you this. Uh, well, first of all, as I understand, there's gonna, it'll be critical, but there's also going to be a report uh, of a, a counter-report coming out of the agency. Here, here's what I'm going to say, that uh, we're fortunate to have men and women who uh, work hard at the CIA serving on our behalf. These are patriots. And uh, whatever the report says, if it diminishes their contributions to our country, it is way off base. And uh, I knew the directors, I knew the deputy directors, uh, you know, I knew a lot of the operators. These are good people, really good people, and we're lucky as a nation to have them. That didn't stop the State Department from continuing to cover up because they were the ones who authorized the CIA to conduct these measures. Nobody was going to be thrown under the bus. Nobody. They even gave the DCI, George Tenet, the Presidential Medal of Fucking Freedom. Same man who said that we don't torture people. Between January 2002 to March of 2022, there were 780 people detained at Guantanamo Bay. Today, there is only 30, which means that the entire program was built on a lie. A lie that Maria Hartwig and Mark Fallon once stated in their paper which I will share with you in the description. Guantanamo Bay detention camp should be closed. Former detainee prisoners like Mohammed Aoud Slahi, Mozambique, Mansour al-Adifi travel all around the world to talk with people, to share their stories about the horrors they endured the nightmares that visited them and continue to do and saw some of their brothers murdered in cold blood without so much as having a second of fair justice. In which I will continue to speak out against the horrors at Guantanamo Bay, their refusal to share information by the Israeli and Saudi intelligence services, as well as the CIA, NSA, and interview key figures that could bring truth to power. Because if not, we will envision a horrible world. A horrible world that will basically be visited with a repetitious nightmare in which we will see 
a continued abuse of not just prisoners, but of the American people and to justice itself. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper.